Today on the next phase with Steve Key, Mark Hirschberg, we're going to talk career paths, why you need one. And, and I'm still refining mine. And for the students that listen to this podcast, hopefully these will be some tips for you. He's the author of the Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success that No One Taught You. You know, he's worked his career in, in developing startups and Fortune 500 companies, also in the schools. He's uh, worked on different programs, and, and he really has this great understanding of what it takes. Well-educated, and uh, I'll, I'll put a lot of the background in the, uh, in the show notes that do with this. Uh, but I find when I look at bios of people, I, I look for interesting things where I can connect. And did you know at one point this man was a top-ranked ballroom dancer in the U.S., which I think is pretty incredible. Uh, big on his social gatherings. This is October, so you you know you usually have an annual Halloween party. I'm dying to hear if that's still on with COVID. And here's where I think we really link together, this diverse cufflink collection. So I'm a cufflink junkie myself. What's your favorite pair? My favorite pair are pie cufflinks, not the food. I have plenty of food cufflinks, but the number that I got from the Museum of Math where I used to uh, serve on the advisory board. Really? I have this, uh, I spent 20 years working for the stock exchange here in Canada, the Toronto Stock Exchange. And I was given a pair of gold bull and bear cufflinks. So one's a bull, one's a bear. I wear them proudly. I just I find that. But I probably have 75 pairs of cufflinks. And uh, since COVID started, I think the number of times I've worn a dress shirt has maybe been three times. So uh, they're not getting the same workout uh, that you are. Are you always still on the lookout for a good cufflink? I am. I have over 400 pairs and I am actively buying new pairs. In fact, I just bought a pair the other day at the New York Public Library. So always looking for good cufflinks. I don't wear squares and knots on the boring things. I wear food and animals and comic books, activities, symbols. They have to be something interesting. Yeah, well, I even have my Spider-Man uh, cufflinks. So I'm, <laughs> I agree with you on that. So uh, that, that's really fun. And it's always a conversation piece. I find that people will look at them and, and wonder about them. And, and it's, it's, you know, sometimes you have to differentiate yourself in the crowd and uh, it does make you stand out. Absolutely. My friends and coworkers know every time they see me, oh, what's the cufflinks you're wearing today? <laughs> you talk uh, about these career path planning skills and they're not teaching. Why, why aren't colleges teaching young people about what they should do in their career? The university system goes back about 900 years, and it's run by people who are deep experts. Now, I work with them at many top schools, and I certainly like them, but we have to remember they are narrow and deep experts. When you go to college and you say, I want to become a marketer, they say, okay, well, we are the marketing experts. We have the PhDs. We decide if you want to get a marketing degree, you have to take certain types of classes, some introductory classes, intermediate pick a few advanced classes. If you do all this, we, the experts have designated, once you take these classes, you get this degree as a bachelor's in marketing. What does that degree say? It doesn't say you are a good worker. It doesn't even say you're a good marketer. 
All it says is you have acquired this level of information in marketing that we, the experts, have said is sufficient to get this title. That's it. Now, that was fine 100 years ago. That was fine mid-century when, as a marketer, you sat there and your boss said, go create this campaign. You said, yes, sir. Came up with a slogan, gave it back to him and said, what next, sir? But in today's world where we have flatter organizations, where we have gutted mill management, where you tend to work with lots of different people, that knowledge of marketing or whatever your discipline is, is not sufficient. You need these other skills for the dynamic interactions that you have today. And the university system has not caught up and responded because it said, well, this degree was good enough decades ago and we don't change very quickly. I think it's going to be about another 30 years or so before we finally see universities change. Why do we need a career path? If you think about any big project you've done, if you're doing some long form stories, doing a documentary, doing a project at work, would you ever say to your boss, okay, I'm going to do this for the next six months, but I'm not going to bother you with a plan or a budget, or milestones. I'm just going to wing it for six months, and hopefully it's going to work out in the end. Right? We know that doesn't happen. Well, you have this plan that's going to last you decades. Your career is 10, 20, 30 years. You think you can really do that without a plan? Now, just like the plan that you do for work, you know whatever you write down, you're not going to follow it to the letter. And this is what trips people up. They think, if I write a career plan, how can I know what I'm doing 20 years from now? Well, you're not saying it in stone. You come with a plan. It's a lot more concrete in the near term. It's fuzzier in the long term. And the key thing is just like any of our project plans, you regularly check in and change it and revise it to wherever you are and wherever you decide you want to go. Yeah, You are preaching a bit to the choir uh, here uh, because I, I was a true believer in that. And, and when I started my career in journalism and radio back in the uh, in the early 1980s uh i had certain checks and balances i wanted to achieve over a five-year period and i achieved them in probably two and a half years so then i had to look to the next five years and i think as a young male probably mature at different stages i say i was different at 20 than 25 than 30 than 35 and then also there are life factors that come into that. You get married, you have a family, you, you try to do these types of things. So what you're saying at this point is that like any good project, you just need to focus on some goals. And whether you aim really high and still hit low, it's better than aiming low and hitting the ground. Eisenhower famously said, plans are worthless, but planning is everything. As the act of doing this plan, that is going to provide an incredible amount of value to you on your professional journey. The workplace that you go into, and today people are changing jobs more frequently than in my generation where I would go somewhere and stay 20 years, even though when I went to work at the Toronto Stock Exchange, uh, you know, I thought that was a six or a 12-month job. And it turned into a 20-year career. But I found that the culture at the organization allowed me to learn. And that I now tell young people that it's better to be driving the bus than to be a passenger in the back. And, and they'll say, 
well, what, what, what is the company doing for me? It's like, what are you doing to be better? And I, and I think that that's lost somewhere today that people expect things are given to them and it's not going to happen. There are many people can help you on your career path. Hopefully your boss, HR, friends and family. But if you remember nothing else from this show, it's that you have to take ownership of your career. This is your life. You are in charge and no one cares about more than you. In fact, some of these folks could even trip you up. I have seen managers and spouses who have slightly different agendas. I don't necessarily mean in a malicious way. Your boss may really want you on this project because that's going to help her get promoted. Your husband may want you to be home more and therefore want you to take the job that's closer and less hours, even though you're going to enjoy it less. We all have people who have their own agendas. They're not trying to be selfish. They might think, no, this is good for you too, but it is ultimately your life, your career. You have to take ownership. Obviously pay attention to your spouse too, but <laughs> remember it is your life. But there's just so much, and I would hear it over the years of people who would just whine and stay in jobs that they didn't like. And I thought, how horrible a way to live. If I wasn't waking up thrilled at the opportunities that were ahead of me at the office, I would never have achieved anything. Now, now, maybe that's just my personality, but I think everyone needs a bit of that reality check to say, hmm, what can I do today to make myself better? I will note, I tend to agree with you, and it pains me to see people who don't have that drive, but I will note that if you don't, certain larger organizations, and I mean organizations Google, McKinsey, Goldman Sachs, large organizations of 50,000 people or more, they tend to have a little more formal support because their HR department says, we have all these jobs, we can help you map out a path. And if it's not something you're going to do, going to a larger organization, there's almost a current that can help move you forward. On the other extreme, if you go to smaller companies, startup companies, HR is non-existent. I am the HR department at a lot of these companies. And when they ask, what's my career path? It's, well, hopefully the company's still around in two years. And if we're growing and you're doing well, I'll hire below you instead of above you. And that's your career path. So in those companies, you absolutely have to be proactive. You should be proactive everywhere. But if just in your nature, you say, I can't be, going to one of those larger companies will have a little more formalized support to help you along. I hear what you're saying. And, and, and here's where I have found over my career and work for incredibly large companies. I've worked for small companies. I found that I thrived better in a smaller organization where I had a clear line of sight to the, the key decision makers. Uh, and that if you didn't ask for something, they weren't going to hand it to you. You, you, you had to turn around and say, you know, I could use, I could be better if I could do this. Let me look at something and maybe take a course. And surprise, surprise, there was all sorts of money aside for training and development that was largely unused because people just didn't want to put the time in. You and me both. I thrive 
at those smaller companies where I can stand up and take initiative. And I talk about how early in my career that let me grow because there weren't boundaries. I could go walk over and say, I'm going to help out on this project. And no one cared because they were so underwater because we're so understaffed at a small company and allowed me to grow quickly. And for people like you and I who do tend to take initiative, those smaller companies can be better because you are less confined. For other people, they like the structure of the big company. And so one of the things as you think about your career plan, I have a list of a whole bunch of questions to think about what you want. Some of those include, are you better at a more structured organization than a more amorphous one, like an early stage startup? Now, I uh, recently, well, the end of, of 2020, retired from full-time work, the day-to-day commute, the 70 to 80 hours that I would put in, and decided to go into this quasi-retirement. When when it came to planning, I bet I was 18 months trying to figure out what I was going to do. So instead of trying to conquer the world and go out as Steve Key Communications and rule everything, I thought, okay, what's important to me? One, a balance to give myself some free time if I wanted to golf or I wanted to go out. Two, to support things locally in the region where I live here just outside the Toronto area. And three, what would make me happy, the type of people I want to work with. And I don't, you know, how this could last another year and then I get bored and fall into something else, or it could be the way that I spend the next 10 years of my life. But these plans do take time and thought, and you probably have to talk to people along the way and, and get advice. And, you know, I'm sure that you've always had to to talk to people to figure out if this was something that, that kind of passed the sniff test. hundred percent. I recommend repeatedly throughout the book, go and talk to other people. And now here's the thing. People love talking about themselves. So it's not that hard to say, Steve, tell me about your career. Tell me about your job. What do you like? What don't you like? What do you wish you knew when you started out, when you were my age? People love answering those questions. So don't be afraid to ask. And it's going to start to give you ideas. I'm going to hear oh, Steve, those things you're talking about, that sounds really exciting. Some of those other things, hmm, not really. Okay, now I have some sense. I want to do more of the first set, less of the second. Let me, let me look for other jobs that might give me more of the first and less of the second. Talk to everyone. It only helps you better formulate your plan. Students at today um, in school, one of the best things that they can do is try to build a network, try to get in with people who can help them. But I find that you know a 21 or 22-year-old student is a bit intimidated. And now I put myself out there, and I've had students on the podcast. I've conducted networking opportunities. How important is it to build a solid network of a variety of people? It is absolutely important. And what kills me, we've all heard this. This is advice we hear as adults. We heard it as kids. Everyone keeps telling us your network is so important, but no one ever sits down to teach us how to do it. 
Now, for students and people in their 20s, the biggest thing I hear is, well, I have nothing to offer. I'm just a student. I'm just someone young. I'm not some senior executive where everyone wants to get to know me. Everyone has something to offer. If you are a student, if you are a young person, you still have access to other people. Even if you say, I don't know anything, but guess what? You do because you know more than I do about whatever your field is. So we all have some knowledge relative to someone else. But even if you say, I feel I know nothing, remember that you know other people because one of the things we bring to our network are other people in our network. Even if I don't have anything to offer to you directly, I know other people and they might be helpful to you. And our relationship opens the door to these other people for you. So everyone has something to offer. And if you are a student, the thing to do, start by reaching out to your alumni network. You can find them if you have an alumni database. You can go on LinkedIn and find people went to your school and reaching out and saying, I am a student from your college. And I would love to talk to you just about your career because I'm looking for ideas. People love that because we all remember what it was like to be in your shoes. So and use the fact that you're a student to your advantage. So this is great because I'm not the one that actually is saying this. Someone else who is an expert in this area is doing it. Now, the, your book, the, the Career Toolkit, what would be one of the big takeaways from, from reading this that I, that I would get? Each of the 10 chapters, they each talk about a different topic. In each one, there is a mindset shift and then a whole bunch of tips and action items you can do. So we just looked at, this isn't the key mindset shift to networking, but it's the idea of it. Once you go from saying, I am a young student, I have nothing to offer, so no one wants to network with me, maybe in 10 years, to oh, I do have something to offer. It might not seem like much, but I know something someone else doesn't, or I have access to a network, even a network of students. Other companies are always looking to hire students. I can bring something in. You switch from, I guess I won't really network for 10 years to I can network today. And then you follow through with, here are the ways I can do it. Here are concrete tips that I can do to build up that network. So each chapter has that mental shift and then has the concrete action items. Well, thank you so much for uh, for for this today. Um, certainly, I'll I'll put a link in the description to uh, some of the work you've done, and and certainly a link to the book. And for students, hear it here first. Really, feel free to reach out. I just I can't even explain how important this is, even at a young stage. When I speak to a student group. If I'm speaking to 30 people, I bet three reach out. Uh, it's like baseball. Think of it this way. If you hit three out of 10 times, you're going to make you know uh, an incredible amount of money. And, and uh, you, you never know unless you try, correct? Absolutely. Great analogy. Great. Thank you so much for this today. The next phase uh, podcast is available on all the networks. Uh, we try to talk about interesting items, have storytellers, and uh, bring you lots of tips. Uh, Again, I, I thank Mark for his time today, and I thank you for listening, and have a wonderful day.